You may have a lot of stressors. Your job should not be one. Obviously, we need to get things done, but we don't want you to work here overnight. We don't want you to stress about it. You go home and enjoy your family or enjoy your hobbies. But you have to be very intentional about that. One, even if you weren't a remote company, but two, especially as a remote company, you have to be checking in with people. From 7CTOs, my name is Etienne De Bruin, and you're in the CTO studio. George, welcome to the CTO studio. Thank you, Etienne. It's great to be here. So George is the CTO at Fleetio, not Fleet.io. No, no. There was some confusion originally because it was Fleet.io, but we figured Fleetio was easier. Fleetio.com. Fleetio. But then you need to say your T like a D, so... I'm going to say Fleetio, which is a fleet management software company that helps organizations track, analyze, and improve their fleet operations. So are you an expert at the traveling salesperson problem? No, not at all. So we don't do any sort of dispatching or or routing or anything like that. We focus mostly on helping fleets track their own vehicles internally more so, track how they're doing, track the health of their vehicles, track the maintenance, any sort of issues. There's a lot of compliance reporting that has to be done with vehicles as well, such as doing inspections. So we help people with that side of things. We help fleet managers and not so much fleet dispatchers. Got it. So fleet managers, meaning we have 50 trucks, we need to know what state they're in, semis, I'm assuming. Is that the right thing? Well, actually, we don't really focus too much on semis. We focus more so on smaller fleets. So light duty and heavy duty vehicles, you're right, pickups, vans transit vans, those sorts of things. We do have all sorts of customers. Landscaping is pretty big for us. We really like to focus on customers who have to have a fleet for their business, but their business isn't necessarily the fleet. So some of our customers need to go to their customers' houses and do things such as a landscaping company, and they care about the landscaping portion. They just need the vehicles to do that. They don't really want to focus on the vehicles as much, you know, like a semi- that is a business. Moving things is a business. But for our sort of customers, the business is something else and the fleet is just a means to that end. So I have a landscaping company. I need 30 trucks and I talk to Fleetio and you guys manage all of that. Well, we help you manage more. So there are companies that do help you manage your fleet. So you just forget about it. But those are usually pretty expensive and they're pretty white glove. And you see big companies using that. We're more so, you have a fleet manager in your company. That person is responsible for managing that fleet, ensuring Uh, that maintenance gets done. Here's our platform where we can help you do that. And it's kind of a self-serve solution. You can add your users. You can add your drivers, interact with them, those sorts of things. So it's really meant for you to unlock your fleet management better than it is more so than us doing the work for you. Got it. Okay, so existing organizations, they have fleets, but they're doing something they work for gas and electric company or they work at landscaping companies and they have their own fleets that they manage. Exactly. Is it an IoT solution? We do do a lot of integrations with IoT. So we don't have our own IoT solution. We don't do any sort of hardware. But customers do have IoT solutions, things like telematics devices installed directly on the vehicles. Some of the vehicles are actually coming out with these devices installed already, newer 2020, 22 and above. And we do integrate with those, but we personally do not do any sort of IoT hardware ourselves. Yeah, stay out of that business. (laughs) It's it's hard. Hardware is hard, man. Software, that's where it's at. So let's talk about your journey. So your CTO, I think you said your team size is around 40 engineers or developers. I'm really curious to know 
how you manage them, what the day-to-day looks like, potentially how you've divided them up. So you're right. We have about 40 engineers so far. I think we're getting close to 50 at this point. And we really have two main products. So we have what we basically just call the web app, which is the browser app that a lot of the fleet managers sitting at their desks use. And then we have mobile app, Android and iOS. We call that Fleetio Go. So our engineers are mostly working on those two products. We have engineers working on internal tools as well, but the vast majority of our engineers are writing code for our browser app and our mobile apps. So from a high level, first of all, we just have those three disciplines of engineering that are doing the bulk of the work along with some auxiliary roles outside of that. Got it. And did you divide your teams up then accordingly? So you have your iOS team, your Android team, your web team. We used to do that. So we used to have everything separate. We had a web team and a mobile team. And when we were very small, you know, just one or two mobile developers and maybe five or so web developers, it worked pretty well. Eventually, as we started growing, we realized that wasn't scaling. There was issues where we were thinking more about the web app first and not really thinking about mobile. So mobile was always trying to catch up with what the Mm. web developers were doing. And we realized that having separate teams wasn't working for us. So what we've done instead, we've created teams around domains of the system. So there's one for fleet maintenance, which is you know the, one of the big ones. We also have fleet operations who also handle integrations. We have a core team that handle, you know, they're a cross-functional team. They handle lots of things across the entire stack. And then we put developers on those teams. And those teams usually include web developers and Android and iOS developers as well, mm. all working together to the same goal. And that's really helped us be more of a mobile first company where we're not trying to catch up from a mobile perspective where everything is being released roughly around the same time. Got it. So the interesting thing for me is to talk about the team topologies. So you have a sort of a vertically integrated teams. So sounds like you're around domains, as you said, where does your product management fit in with that? Yeah. So we have an entire product team at Fleetio. So we have product managers, designers, and QA and a larger product team as a whole. One thing that we like to do is we try to keep teams small. So a team at its core is really an engineer, a product manager, and a designer. We try to give those people a lot of autonomy to define their goals from a bottom-up perspective and to work on their own goals and, and try to solve that as they align to company goals. Obviously, those teams then get bigger. A lot of these teams, we call them squads. Typically, do have one product manager who is usually dedicated to that squad, one designer who maybe has one or two squads, a team lead who may be at one or two squads, and then we have a few engineers, usually two or three, who are just on that one squad. Mm. So those small teams, they sit within larger teams, but the small teams are, you know, they typically work on some sort of a objective or one area in the system that just needs work through a long period of time. Did you say that your product managers or owners? are joined in with those squads? Yes, so they they are part of that squad and they're usually in charge of one squad. Okay, and then do they then typically take care of the agile rituals? I say that carefully. Yeah, yeah. the ceremony around agile. (laughs) The development rituals, I should say, that are hopefully agile. Yes, yes. So (laughs) we do follow an agile process. The product managers are the ones that are really running the ceremony. They're really Mm. running the show. One thing that we're actually noticing is that maybe as we scale, that's, there's too much work for one person to do that. So we're starting to integrate things like product owners and technical program managers yeah. to help a lot with the day-to-day execution. 
but historically, yeah, the product manager on the squad is the one who's in Jira. They're the ones that are writing the stories and checking velocity. So that's interesting. How how do the product owners know what to work on? Does the VP of product sit with the product managers and they do all their work and then they come over to the engineering and tell them what to do? Yeah, so we use the OKR framework. And so we work on a quarterly basis. We do releases continually all throughout the week, but our goals are set at a quarterly level. And every quarter, the executive team, the leadership team gets together and tries to figure out what's important for us to do this quarter. And then that mandate is then given down to uh, teams. We try to ladder the goals down so that each level of a team is working on something toward that goal. Usually at the beginning of a goal, it is the product managers who are doing the customer discovery. They're out talking to customers, visiting customers even, especially before COVID. And they're trying to come up with, okay, here's this goal we're trying to meet, whether that's better retention, better adoption, better revenue. And here is one area of the system that I'm in charge of that can really help with this goal. So then we're going to try to achieve this adoption percentage in this module of the system. And then the planning just ladders down from there where, okay, that's, we're going to need to develop these features to do that. We're going to need to refactor this code to make it maybe more performant because customers are getting frustrated and those sorts of things. The top mandate is handled at the quarterly level and then the teams are, are more so mm. encouraged to find ways to help that mandate, that goal. Is the relationship intact <laughs> yeah. between the product and the engineering? Do you mean intact as far as close working relationship, but they get along? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I think a little bit of friction is good uh, between product managers and engineers. But yeah, I think everybody has a good relationship. Certainly, sometimes engineers think that, you know, maybe working on tech that is more important and product managers, they think about the customer impact. So we have to balance that out. But I think that relationship works pretty well for us. The customer impact, I think, I often think about engineers as, in its healthiest sense, uh, glass half empty in the sense that things have to be proven out. We need to be in an empirical, fact-based organization. And I think every th- request that comes their way is met with a healthy dose of skepticism. And the product people, on the other hand, almost see into the future, right? Like, hey, if we do this, then this is going to happen. Or if we absolutely have to get this done in order for us to move the puck on something else. And so I think that the friction that exists is oftentimes because the developers live in the now and the product people have to live in, in the near future. Yeah, I think that's a good way of encapsulating it. The developers, you know, they're the ones seeing the dashboards. They're the ones seeing the metrics. They're the ones that are in the code, maybe having to deal with code that was written six years ago by, you know, somebody who had completely different goals. So they see that pain point every day. But on the flip side, the product managers, they're the ones that are out with the customers and they're looking over the shoulder Mm. for customers sometimes and they're using our system and they realize, oh man, this customer is spending so much time working around this this feature that we built the wrong way. So then they see that pressure too. And it's really about meeting, you know, coming together. And one thing that helps us balance a little bit is having uh, developers on as many calls as we can get with customers. And just hearing sometimes, you know, the good and the bad directly from a customer, you're like, okay, I do know that this part of the system needs refactoring or I need to address this tech, but I hear Steve's pain points. If I just spent two days fixing this report for Steve or fixing, you know, this page for Steve, his life would be so much better. And it kind of helps balance you out. At the same time, product managers understanding what developers are going through also helps that balance. 
And so as CTO, are you taking any sort of measures to oil that machine, which is the relationships between the two? I guess having product people embedded in squads is a great step because there's empathy, there's celebration, there's accomplishment, shared challenges. Do you find that you need to do more work or does that require extra effort to make sure that relationship goes well? Not a lot of extra effort, but I do think there are cases when that sometimes does happen, when you do need that little extra helping hand, you do need a mediator. Sometimes that is me. Sometimes that's my VP of engineering. Sometimes that's somebody on the product team who can help grease those wheels a little bit. Fortunately, again, I think we have a very good relationship between our engineers and our product team. But yeah, I think that's something I have to do sometimes just on individual case-by-case basis, not necessarily as an ongoing I need to remember to do this every week or every month sort of thing. So do you have a VP of product or CPO? Yeah, we do have somebody who is our head of product right now. And you have a VPE? We do, yes. Uh, Interesting question for me. Does your VPE report to you or to the CEO? The VPE reports to me and then I report to the CEO. Okay. Yeah, it's interesting how many models the VPE will report directly to the CEO and work in conjunction with the CTO. Yeah, I will say we do have a dotted line between not just the VPE, but a lot of our VP positions as well to the CEO. We do weekly one-on-ones across the board, but the CEO may have bi-weekly one-on-ones or bi-monthly one-on-ones with our That's great. I think to keep the VPs, the vision, the why, the connection to the mission, I think all of that's great. At what size did you hire your VPE? That's a great question because... I will say that hiring a VPE was probably the best thing that's happened to me in my CTO (laughs) career. So we were maybe about 10, close to 15, I would say, engineers. This was about three years ago. And we hired somebody, his name is Stenthal Subramanian. And we hired him. He had a lot of experience at larger companies. He is just a rock star when it comes to processes and just unblocking people and then knowing how to structure teams, knowing how to even just like the interpersonal relationships. Mm. So that, you know at about the 15 engineer level. And that was just really underwater as far as doing one-on-ones and helping with all sorts of projects and just managing. You can always hear that maybe six to eight is the most you can manage directly. And I, I was doing double that and I could barely survive. I love that. So with your VPE then focused on team process, overall, I guess, software delivery, what are you focused on? Yeah, I'm really focused on the technology. So I own the technology at Fleetio. Any sort of new initiatives, especially. So earlier we were talking about IoT. That's something that we're currently redefining at Fleetio. Big project for us. And that's something that I'm currently in charge of, as well as a handful of other projects as well. But really just owning that technology and ensuring that we always remained modern and fresh and just scalable. So speaking of modern and fresh, I have a close friend. His name's Augustine LeBron and his buddy, Paul. Johnson, and they always challenge people. Whenever I'm in a room, I hear them ask, what interesting problems are you solving or what hard problems are you solving? What would inspire an engineer or, a, or someone to join your team because you know we're solving this interesting challenge or this interesting problem? Yeah. For us, we're really scaling beyond being just a system of record. So a lot of SaaS products, you sell them to users, especially, you know, B2B. Some of the users are like, hey, give us your data and we'll do something with it. We'll show it to you in different ways. But 
that we are your database for, whether that's fleet management or your rental properties or whatever it may be. And that's really been the history of Fleetio for a few years. But over the past couple of years, we've really focused on going beyond that and just being smart about one, being more prescriptive to customers on how to manage their fleet and being able to decide for them like, hey, this vehicle is not very good because you're spending more money on maintaining this vehicle or you're spending too much fuel on this vehicle. Likewise, with all of, again, going back to IoT, there's just a lot of data being collected by vehicles. And that's something that, again, if you're just collecting data that customers are entering manually, you don't really have to worry about maintaining your database or thinking about anything outside of just a regular SQL relational database. But now we're having to break that mold and start talking about how do we store big data? How do we process billions of events per day and then do something with that information so that we can tell the user like, hey, we sifted through 100 million records that you generated over the week and we found these issues with your vehicle potentially. So for us, that's really the interesting problem is growing from that company that is a system of record and maybe just storing your data for you versus being a company who's helping you get really deep insights into your company. And that's with big data. That's with a little bit more predictive analysis. That's really with a lot of new tools that are not necessarily super new, but a lot of new tools that maybe a lot of engineers haven't had a chance to explore at their previous jobs because they're just writing pages. Got it. The challenge I often find is when engineers do choose to spend their time at a company, oftentimes when I see job descriptions, it's really sort of tame. And so I like what you said around the challenges you guys are facing, especially as you're scaling. Yeah, and overall, it's really just fun being part of a company that's scaling. We're still pretty small, you know, 40 engineers or so, so you still get to come in and work on interesting problems. You're not going to be one of 100 engineers or one of 1,000 engineers. You're going to be somebody who's working on problems that are critical to the growth of the company and Mm. really to the satisfaction of our users too. So you are obviously fully remote probably? So the company is, uh, we do have a headquarters. It's in Birmingham, Alabama, and it's a really nice office space. Think about 40% of our company overall, not the engineering team, lives in the Birmingham area. But the engineering team, most of those, I think only a handful live in the Birmingham area. And then everybody else is spread out across Canada, the US and Mexico. And how do you manage that as a culture? This really boils down to the early history of Fleetio. When I came on board, Fleetio was about a year and a half old. And I met the founder, Tony, and he was a big believer in remote work. A big part of that is because he is from the Birmingham area. And there's just especially in 2012, there's not a lot of talent in Birmingham. There's not a lot of engineering talent. So, No offense, Birmingham, if you're listening. <laughs> no offense. Now, <laughs> you would actually be surprised at how much talent there is in Birmingham. Now, there's... We have a member in seven CTOs whose company's origin story is Birmingham. They're yeah, called... is that David Wendy. Lormer? Yes. Yes, yes. I know him. I saw, I was going through your catalog, uh, you know, in preparation for this, and I saw okay. his Okay. So that helps. <laughs> Hey, I know this person in Birmingham. Oh, yeah. Is it David Lawmore? Yes. Okay, cool. Done. There you go, everybody. Small world, right? So do you know him from there or from Dallas? Because you're both in Dallas as well, right? We're both in Dallas. I heard that he moved to the Dallas area a couple of years ago. I know him from Birmingham. He ran a meetup. Uh, It was called BASE, the Birmingham Area Software Engineers. Anytime I would go to Birmingham to travel, I'd just find meetups, do something while I was outside of work, and uh, Started going to those, and that's where I met him. Wow, that's funny. But yeah, so ever since we were a small company, we decided why limit ourselves. And you know, this is 2012, so it's not now. It's a lot more common. It wasn't that common back then. 
we told ourselves, why limit ourselves to hiring within a 25 or 50 mile radius? It's easy to hire anybody in the U.S. Obviously, there's employment in a lot of different states, but overall, it's pretty easy. And then we eventually thought the same thing about why limit ourselves to just the U.S.? Let's hire people who are in other countries and figure out how to do that as well. And especially if they're in the same time zone, that should be pretty easy. So that's when we expanded to to Canada and Mexico as well. We're big believers in remote. So we're able to make it work because our DNA was written from a very early stage to be a remote first company. What we try to do is basically, even though we have headquarters, there's people working from there, we just try to pretend like everybody is remote. So even if the person's sitting three desks from you, use Slack instead Mm. or set up a meeting. And we try to, there's always that those water cooler conversations that can happen in an office. We try to make sure that those conversations still happen with people who are remote, either by just telling people, if you have an idea, no matter how small it is, just get on a chat with this person, either Slack them or Zoom them or whatever it may be. We write everything down. And really, there's a hundred other things that we do, but it really comes from just having that DNA from an early stage. And we were remote when we were three people at the company. Got it. Yeah, I, I hear that more and more to just pretend like everyone's remote. One thing that I see CTOs work on at your stage, you know, being 40 people, is psychological safety. Do you have any thoughts on that? Do you define psychological safety as protecting? the stress levels, the psychology of your employees? Yes, but also the freedom and the ability to bring things up for you to know when people are maybe retreating or not feeling safe or, you know, I guess in the remote environment, how do you know what the mental well-being of each person actually is? You have to be very intentional about it. So the mental well-being of our employees, of our engineering team is really important to me. I always tell them, I do not want Fleetio to be the cause of stress in your life. You may have a lot of stressors. Your job should not be one. Obviously, we need to get things done, but we don't want you to work here overnight. We don't want you to stress about it. You go home and enjoy your family or enjoy your hobbies. But you have to be very intentional about that. One, even if you weren't a remote company, but two, especially as a remote company, you have to be checking in with people. And eventually, you know, I can't be the one who's checking in with 40 others on a consistent basis. So I've ensured that as we've grown our culture, as we've added, you know, VPE and team leads and these other levels of management that they do the same thing as well. And fortunately, most of those have been here for a long time. So they've been able to experience that themselves. And then when they do get promoted to manager, I tell them, hey, just make sure that whenever you're talking to your guys, that you're always ensuring that they're happy, that they're working on things that they feel is important to them, but also that, you know, they don't have any sort of stressors in their life. Is there anything that we can help with as a company, maybe taking it a little bit easier, or maybe just giving you a little bit of extra time off? Those sorts of things are important. Again, that was very important to me when we were smaller. And as we've grown, I've just ensured that that message gets disseminated to as many of our managers as we can so that you know it reaches everybody. Yeah, my challenge with that is that if I consider my own life and my own ups and downs, I'm not always aware when I am in a down, my own levels of awareness. So I might be snippy with my wife or sort of loud with my children it manifests in different ways and without someone sort of pulling me out and saying, hey, have you considered that maybe you're just stressed out or I don't always know how to communicate that I feel down or unsafe. I hear what you said around encouraging your managers to lean in. I just wonder if there's more that can be done to help people. Yeah, I think there's always going to be more and there's always going to be limitations 
as a manager and especially as a manager of remote employees, you're 100% right. There's always more. I do think that, you know, you may not be aware when you're going through these down times that you are maybe acting a little bit shorter with people or even that your behaviors change. But people are really good at picking up on those sorts of signals. They're really good at understanding that something may be different about your coworker or something. So if we do notice that, I mean, that's honestly something we talk about sometimes. Like, hey, have you noticed that such and such person is maybe a little bit more disconnected than they were before? Do you think that something's going on? And obviously, you don't want to pry as a manager. Everybody has their personal life and they don't always want to share it. But just reaching out and saying like, hey, man, just notice you've maybe been a little bit down or a little bit less connected recently. Just let me know if there's anything I can do. And, you know, I'm always here for you. And, you know, sometimes people do respond well to that. Again, sometimes you just have to leave people to deal with things on their own. And what we see at companies maybe just slightly larger than you is, you know, some pretty incredible incentive programs to do two things. One, to have people bring their creativity and their innovation into the company. So I know with, you know, remote gigs or with remote employees, we're in this world where you can no longer really expect expect the worker to give you their whole 40 hours. We used to have that in-person validation that someone is working, right? Yeah, exactly. You'd be able to see them directly. But now it's like you can really only do sort of outcome-based, you know, in your stand-ups. But I think more and more people are also taking on side gigs, side hustles. Maybe they're selling their hours on Fiverr or Upwork. So we see incentive programs that start to encourage people to say, hey, bring your ideas, bring your creativity into the company. Is that from like a product level or is that just any idea related to the company? Like, let's have this event or? Well, on the product level, but also, and this kind of brings me to my second point, which is those incentive programs and also encourages people to be successful in whatever it is that they are doing. So, hey, if, if you're leading the base software group in Birmingham, hey, you know, we'll sponsor some pizzas or we'll, we'll help you look good to whatever you're doing. Or if you're invited to speak at a conference, we'll help cover your travel cost maybe and go speak. So I think there's a lot of incentive programs that it's a little non-intuitive because in a way you're investing in this person's other interests. But I love this approach that says, if I can make you successful, then that's part and the key to you making me successful. What do you think about that? I think that's great. I think investing in people in any form is great. I think you'll always get that return on your investment, whether that's you know at the workplace or even just personally. That sounds like an awesome idea. So at Fleetio, we do professional development budgets, allowing people to go to conferences. But the other things you're mentioning, like just having some sort of investment in their own personal life, maybe their own hobbies or their own charity work or whatever it may be, would make people happier and, and happier people just make for better coworkers. And I think the key here for me is you can have the policy, right? You can say, hey, everyone has a $500 discretionary spending or we have a policy around charities. Or I get that, but I think what we're going for is feeling connected. You and I probably got to where we are today, undoubtedly, because someone cared about our growth and someone invested in us and someone helped us feel connected. And 
what I love to see with these incentive programs is what we give is the means, but the end is feeling connected, feeling a sense of belonging, feeling like, wow, this isn't got me building slime stores for my kids on Shopify. It's got nothing to do with my company, but my company's doing the Shopify subscription for me. Those types of things just make me feel like, wow, my company cares about me and my overall success. And now I look like a hero to my 13-year-old daughter. I love that. I think that those are awesome ideas. And again, just really caring about people is, is, is so important. Yeah. And that requires then that your direct reports or your managers are attuned to these things. So all of a sudden, what did you do this weekend becomes an incredible insight into opportunities for us to invest in people's mental well-being. Yeah, yeah. Moving on, you mentioned compliance earlier. And can you talk a little bit about your compliance journey at this level, at this stage of your organization? Yeah, yeah, compliance internally, right? So we've only recently hired, started hiring a security and compliance team within the last year. So now we have a security and compliance manager on the team who has lot of experience. And honestly, those are like with the VPE hire earlier that I mentioned, just hiring somebody who knows how to do those things and has been through SOC 2 audits and has been through, you know, customer security audits and those sorts of things is a game changer for us. And that's really something that has leveled us up over the past year. So we've also started hiring security engineers as well to just make sure that any sort of code that goes out gets reviewed from a security perspective. So our journey is somewhat new there, but it's definitely been a little bit eye-opening for me how much those professions, those skill sets can help a team. So the outside team, is it, is it an internal team or an outside team? We have an internal team, yes. We do contract with, uh, like for companies who do penetration tests, external teams, but we do have internal employees at Fleetio who handle security and compliance. Do you have some regulatory requirements? SOC 2, but nothing specific to Fleet or anything like that. Nothing like the financial industry or similar. Well, and I'm curious about the SOC 2 report. Is this because of your clients asking for the SOC 2 reports? Some clients do, not necessarily as a requirement. So we do get a lot of bigger clients, enterprise customers who, just as part of their own due diligence, they will send out questionnaires or they'll want to do some sort of audit. But they will tell you if you have a SOC 2 audit or some sort of ISO compliance, then you send us that and this will go a lot faster. So that was really one of the drivers for us from yeah. a sales perspective, just yeah. closing that sales cycle a lot sooner. So no customer is necessarily requiring it, but it just helps us. And obviously just being able to be a more secure company just for that bone benefit is a good thing. That's what I love about the SOC 2 exercise, even if it's not required for business development. A, it just tightens up your internal processes I just think that's fantastic. And then B, B, go to A. (laughs) So does this team report to you? Yeah, the security team does report directly to me. They're kind of a a side function. So they're not within the engineering team. It's its own function that points up to me. Yeah, good. Okay, let's go a little bit towards your role inside the company. What we like to see at this stage of like 40, 50 people is how is the CTO facilitating conversation inside of the organization? You know, your cross-functional influence, your business process optimization, like the impact that you have 
on your various functions within the organization. How do you stay focused on that and how do you keep that front and center? It's a little bit difficult, especially since I came from, you know, even at Fleetio, I was in IC for a long time, for a few years. Letting go of that, letting go of your Legos is something that we say. It can be difficult because you really don't understand, as it may be just a software engineer, you may not understand how important it is to be cross-functional, to maybe meet regularly with the VP of product or with the VP of sales, VP of marketing, and understand those sorts of problems. You know, it's something that I have to work on over years, but I've at this point, I do have a focus almost exclusively outside of just big architectural decisions on the tech stack and those sorts of things. The other amount of time is spent with these cross-functional teams and you know, talking to the CEO, getting together on a weekly basis with the rest of the executive leadership team and just talking about things that are not related to engineering, at least not from a uh, first glance. But it's something for me, at least, I just have to force myself to do it and just say, like, I can't. You know, somebody asked me for a code review and I just like, I'm sorry, I can't. We're going to have to get somebody else on this. I can totally see, especially in the role, and we didn't get into this, your progression, but the evolution of the IC turned manager, turned executive, turned CTO, we often have to coach the people around us on how to work with us. Yeah. And I can see how that could be a challenge. Yeah, and that's something that even... When we promote managers today, you know, ICs to managers, we have to tell them the same thing. Like, you're going to have to tell your guys that you can't help them with this, that they have to learn not to ping you about these sorts of questions anymore because you're working on more strategic initiatives. You're working on talking to customer success about why is churn so bad when customers don't adopt this one feature that you're in charge of. You do have to do a lot of coaching of the people that you work with so that they know what you're doing now. Yeah. And one thing we encourage people to do is even, you know, host something as simple as value stream mapping exercise or wardly mapping or to just bring people into a room and kind of serve the group as a facilitator. Like, let's all just contribute and discuss around how do we create value to our customer? And let's talk about all the steps that are involved and value stream mapping is, is actually an incredibly powerful tool for the CTO to do that. Yeah, yeah. And then one thing we really focus on too is, uh, you know, as an IC, you really may be used to and maybe even take pride in being able to one who puts out the fire. And then just like, you, if there's a fire, you come in and you put it out. And there's a lot of praise in that. There's a lot of self-worth in that. But then you have once you get promoted, you start moving up the ladder, you have to think, okay, I can't be the one putting up the fire, but I am the one who needs to figure out why that fire started. How can I create a new system so that these fires aren't happening? And mm. somebody else is putting out the fire. And while they're doing that, you're up at the drawing board trying yeah. to figure out how to prevent this from happening again. Great. Anything else you want to say or ask or chat about? This has been great, honestly. I've learned a few things from you, so <laughs> I'm already sold on seven CTOs. I'll just say, if you're an engineer, you want a nice job with people who care about you working on fun projects, uh, go to fleetio.com slash careers slash engineering for the engineering specific page. And lots there for you. We have something like seven or eight open roles and each one of those has multiple uh, available positions. I love that. Great, George. Well, it was really nice to meet you. Thanks for hanging. It's really amazing for me to the work CTOs in your position are doing to run large teams like you are 40 people 50 people you know and scaling 
providing you with that support and brainstorming how to create a nurturing, healthy ecosystem for your developers is, is, I think, is a noble cause. So I hope to share something with you when I see you in Dallas. Yeah, definitely. If you're here, let's go out for a drink or something. Okay, George. Take care, man. All right. Cheers.